0: Hear the word of God. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. The original 12 minus the one, Judas the betrayer. They went to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. You remember that mountain visits in the biblical tradition are not to be taken for granted. Important things happen on a mountain. Matthew works very hard to portray Jesus as the great teacher in the tradition of Moses. The call of Moses at the burning bush happened up on Mount Horeb. The Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai. Elijah and the still small voice was on a mountain. And just here in the Gospel of Matthew, there is the Sermon on the Mount the Mount of Transfiguration. The feeding of the thousands happens up on a mountain. Jesus heads up to a mountain for solitary prayer. And here at the end of Matthew, just the other side of Easter morning, soon after the Marys went to the tomb, the 11 disciples went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Important things in the Bible happen on mountains. The risen Christ, 11 disciples, a mountain. And Matthew tells that when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And you and I, the gospel's readers, the church, we start to look around that mountain and do a head count. Some doubted. There's only 11. Some means more than one. Some means probably more than a few. There's no intimate embrace with Thomas, complete with scarred hands and feet. That's the Gospel of John. This isn't the account of Jesus being revealed in teaching all the scriptures had to say about him and in the breaking of the bread. That's Luke. But this is a mountain. Important things in the Bible happen on mountains. Important, decisive, divinely clarifying things happen on mountains. The risen Christ, the 11, and a mountain. And Matthew writes, but some doubt it. The newest published edition of the New Revised Standard Version Bible, rather awkwardly labeled the New Revised Standard Version Updated Edition, (laughs) N-R-S-V-U-E, it adds a twist on this worship and doubt. The translation reads like this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but they doubted. The eleven all worshipped. The eleven all doubted. The same disciples worshipped and doubted. Not doubting Thomas and a few others, doubting all of them no inner circle of the more faithful disciples, all of them. Worship and doubt all within the same disciples. That's provocative, that's compelling, and it's really comforting. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. I texted New Testament professor Eric Barreto from my study after I came upon This change, what was, for me at least, a rather mind-blowing revelation, not many preachers have that privilege to just text a New Testament Greek scholar. Eric texted me back. Here's what Eric wrote. I asked permission for this. Didn't tell you I was going to read the whole quote, the whole text. Interesting. Eric writes, I wonder if the big interpretive question is about the adversative in the Greek day. As you know, <laughs> thanks, Eric, <laughs> it's a weak adversative, especially when compared to Allah in Greek, a strong disjunction, and chi in Greek, a strong conjunction. Day stands in the middle somewhere between but and and. NRSV, it seems, is interpreting day more than Allah, emphasizing the contrast between believing and doubting, while NRSVUE is treating it more like a conjunction, seeing a connection between believing and doubting. Both are possible with day, but NRSVUE strikes me as more straightforward. Matthew could have used Allah, but didn't. And maybe the homiletical leverage is the connection between believing and doubting, not as clear opposites, but as mysteriously interrelated. End text. (laughs) Actually, glad it was helpful. I'm on the edge here since Matthew's not my specialty. (laughs) To which his pastor wrote back, Disclaimer, not accepted. (laughs) In the presence of the risen Christ on a mountain, the 11 disciples worshiped him and doubted, doubted and worshiped him. It is both the worship and the doubt that invites you and I to that mountaintop. For in that mysterious space created by worship and doubt, the risen Christ breathes the great commission. On a mountain clouded by a decidedly human mixture of doubt and worship, Jesus gives the Great Commission. With Matthew seemingly acknowledging the questioning, searching, vulnerable souls of those 11, and all the disciples of Jesus Christ that were to come after, the risen and glorified Christ sculpts the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go, make, baptize, teach. It's hard to miss the multiple action verbs that fill the Great Commission, Christ's sending of the church, with all the authority of heaven and the breadth of the triune understanding of God and the mandate to cover everything that Jesus taught, those 11 were sent. The church's 11 were sent to embody, to live into, to witness to the very nature of God uniquely revealed in the ministry of Jesus, his teaching, his healing of the sick, his care for the poor, his touching of the unclean, his eating with sinners, his challenge to the powerful, his work for justice, his call for righteousness, his suffering on the cross, his self-emptying, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus sent the 11 to embody the breadth of God's love, entrusted with the task of carrying out the very mission of God. As God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus sent the first disciples into the world, so Christ sends the church in the power of the Holy Spirit to show forth God's love for all. Important things in the Bible happen on mountains. Here, in the mysterious space created by worship and doubt, the risen Christ breathes the mission of God to just a few. In his book, The Continuing Conversion of the Church, Darrell Guder lifts up the task-oriented nature of this great commission. The commission doesn't stand at the end of some religious quest for meaning, Dr. Guder writes. And he goes on to argue that the commission results from an ever-present encounter with God in Christ as the church goes about its business, its task, its life, which is to say, through Christ, Jesus gave life to the great commission in that mysterious space created by worship and doubt, and the lasting promise of God comes to life amid the verbs. The assurance of Christ, I will be with you always, comes in the going, the making, the baptizing, the teaching. It is in the doing, in the living, in the serving, in the loving, that the church remembers, experiences, and lives the everlasting promise of Jesus. Just two Sundays ago, we celebrated confirmation here at Nassau, Mark Edwards quite remarkably wove the words of the confirmands into a very compelling and moving sermon. The quotes Mark shared were from the narratives of their faith journey and their faith statements that were shared with the session the evening they were received as members. And I had the privilege, along with the elders, to read all of what they wrote. And as Mark preached, I remembered what I thought as I read them at my desk. In some way, shape, or form, all of our confirmands were very honest about their doubts. And all of them expressed that they were confident in God's love for them. And how nothing could ever take God's love for them away. And I sat right here during Mark's sermon and thought, wow, it worked. (laughs) Nassau Church did what God calls us to do. For there is no higher calling in the church than to send young people out into the world with God's love so deeply implanted in them and knowing that Jesus will be with them forever and sure that nothing, nothing, nothing will ever take God's love from them. A sanctuary full of the followers of Jesus that day and just about 11 standing around the baptismal font expressing their worship and their doubt. And somewhere in the kingdom of heaven that morning, two Sundays ago, Jesus turned to those first 11 and said, now that's a great commission. Two, three, 11 at a time. More often than not, the great commission happens just a few at a time. God calling disciples to live into the task God sets before them. Not that the world might be conquered, but that the kingdom might come. Sunday after Sunday, you and I find ourselves in a broken gathering, easily identified by this sacred mix of worship and doubt. And into this space, Christ breathes his great commission, his call to you and to me, and in the going, the making, the baptizing, the teaching, the loving, the forgiving, the doing the great commission embodied in the likes of you and me, sent out from here, sent from Christ's table to carry out the mission of God, and in the doing, experiencing the everlasting promise of Jesus. I will be with you always. Thanks be to God.